Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yavamot, daf Yud Dalid, page 14. Well, much of our daf is a continuation of yesterday's discussion, but today I want to draw our attention to an interesting Mishnah that takes place and the conversation, well, sorry, Brisa, and a discussion that takes place about the difference between a mamzer and a halal which are two terms that we've talked about before in Yavamos, right? A mamzer being the product of a uh, forbidden, an orayot relationship, one of the forbidden relationships that listed in the Torah. And the halal is the product of a kohen who marries, uh, who is the result of a sexual relationship between a kohen and a woman that he's not supposed to be with. So the Bryce says as follows, it's right at the bottom of Amaral. Tanu Ravanan, Ezohi Almanat Isav. So the rabbis taught who is a widow, right, whose late husband was a, 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 a member of a Kohen family with Isa means like sort of a questionable lineage, okay, and is still fit to marry a priest. So we say it's, it's, it's one who married any family that has uh, no, uh, that has that has nobody who's uh, that doesn't have any status of being worried about being unfit because there's nobody in the family who's a mamzer or who is an atin. Remember, we talked about that yesterday. Those are the gibonim, or uh, could have been a slave to a king. I'm a rabbi mayor. Rabbi mayor says, "Shamati, I heard right." That a widow of any of this type of family that has none of these uncertainties, right? There's no question that there's a mamzer or natin or an abde mela, right? Is allowed to marry members of the kahuna, right? The only, and so therefore what it would mean is that the only uncertainty that would allow you not to marry a Kohen is when there's a question of whether that woman would have had, this widow had some type of halal status in her family. But if it's an uncertainty about mamzeros or about being an Ebed uh, Melech or about being a Natin, then we don't. So we already see this distinction being made between these three categories and a Chalal. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Mishun Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says in the name of Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasio, and Rabbi Shimon ben Menasio said also, what is considered to be an almanat isa, a widow of questionable, uh, of a family of questionable lineage? It's a woman, a woman who marries into any family, right? Which a person, there's a uncertainty about whether the halal was assimilated. So what it's referring to, and this is why it's called an isa, right? Isa actually means doe. So she's literally called widow of doe because just as doe is the result of sort of a mixture of many different ingredients. This would be a family that as a person where it's unclear if someone who was a halal somehow got mixed into the family. So that's why it's called an almanat isa. That's what the commentators explained here. And so now the Gemara wants to discuss why do we have this distinction between a halal and a mamzer? Right. And so the reason for this is, is because when we talk about an uncertain halal versus an uncertain mamzer, right? Makirin Yisrael, Jews, that is, 
is not something that really gets lost. We're not really concerned that a monster somehow would get mixed into a family with good lineage because a monster status is so bad, people are really careful about it. But a halal family, a halal person, you know, halaline, they sort of can get mixed in. And so what ends up happening is that in a way, what I think this statement is saying is, is that Mamzerus in a way was taken more seriously. So there was less of a question that they would get mixed in. Halal would be taken, sorry, is taken more seriously, halal less seriously. So halal could get mixed in without people knowing. And therefore, according to this price, we're stricter if there's a questionable halal status versus a mamzer status. Because what we're basically saying is there's no questionable mamzer status. Mamzers don't just get mixed in. Amar, um, So can I, yeah, wait, before you go on, um, I just want to think about some of the language here, right? Um, I think you had said something about the. Well, well, sorry, I just want to say that's the end of the brisa, and then the gemara is going to analyze the brisa. So, sorry, what do you want to say about the brisa here? I'm talking about translation, so it's yeah. not even you know, but the the or characterization, right? The question of the moms are being quote so bad, right? I think what happens is that the question of a mamzer of whether one, you know, could have a a child who could end up being a mamzer. Um, is something that affects the entirety or the vast majority of the population, meaning not that people will have mamzer, but that it's something that could affect them. Whereas halal affects only the koanim. And the koanim is, I mean, they're kind of spread throughout, but it's its kind of not my worry. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in terms of the majority of the people who have to think about, I don't know, who they're going to marry or whatever, the, the possibility of encountering a kohen or having a concern that the Kohen would share, I think is is much, much less, you know, a, a much less uh, percentage-wise in terms of the concerns of the community. The other thing I would say about it, the Mamzer case being so bad, you know, is maybe instead of, uh, listen, it's not for me to police anybody's language, but I feel like in my head, I relate to it as a much more limiting status, right? Meaning um, somebody who is, a mamzer can't marry. There's so many people he can't marry that that that's the the extremity of the mamzer, as opposed to it being meaning it's not the mamzer's fault ever, right? By definition, it's not the mamzer's fault. So I get reluctant to to put that kind of value judgment on it on such a person, except for the fact that in terms of choices, you know, of possible marriage partners, whatever one is certainly limited. And in that regard, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bad situation. Right. So I'm wondering if, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think that's a really interesting point that in other words, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, that basically being a mom's there is like so all encompassing where a halal, it just applies to like a very small group of people. So I think that's a really that's a fair thing to say, though. Okay, carry on. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I, I'm not going to read. You know, so the Gemara, the rest of the Gemara, uh, until the Mishnah that we have, uh, is basically going to sort of explain this a little bit more um, and, you know, sort of bring some other statements of other Tanayim, uh, sort of, you know, explaining what exactly this Almanati says, what the questionable lineage is. I just want to point out one thing here. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. This I'm just dropping, you know, jumping down a little bit. Right, that Rabbi Yochanan says, and I think, Anne, this is exactly what you're saying, that a mamzer screams, right, and and a halal is silent. 
and then they go through, uh, you know, a ton of statement about this. But I think what Rabbi Yochanan is basically saying that, you know, when you have a mom's there, it's it, it, it's something that either you protest, you scream about, you scream that you have that status, that status is apparent to other people. A halal somehow can sort of slip through a little bit more quietly. And so I think Rabbi Yochanan basically agrees with you, Ram. That's that's what I just want to say there. Baruch Shekivanti. How lucky for me. Um, I want to tackle the Mishnah that's at the very end of the daf, um, going back to our usual practice of not skipping Mishnayot. Um, and I think I actually, you know, will carry on to the very top of the next daf because that's where the Mishnah really gets explained and we're other things tomorrow. I'm a Rabbi Yossi. So this is already an interesting mission because it, it kind of jumps right into the case, right? In a different set, in a different setup of the Mishnah, where they're all kind of attached together, it would make sense that the halacha is articulated pretty kind of pretty directly, let's say, in what the last Mishnah that we read, that your dinner that you read the other day. And then here, or did I? No, I think it was you. And then here's the case. Amar Rabbi Yossi, Maseh b'tinoket she'er ma'im min ha'yan, so we have, according to Rabbi Yossi, there's a story, meaning it was a case, an incident, and an actual incident, not a hypothetical, where a girl went, well, it says, literally it says Tinoket, right? A, a, a young girl uh, went down to fill up her water bottles or jugs or whatever. And I'm reminded of the, you know, the story of Rivka, of course, right? The, the implications of a young girl going down to fill up the water bottles or the water jugs. Um, at the spring, and she is raped. Now, I want to not focus, although it's tempting, I want to not focus on the age of the girl at this point, but the fact that the way the mission itself treats it, the issue here is that she's raped, and the identity of the, the rapist is not known here. There's no address of that. So Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri says that if the majority of the people of this city are in fact fit to marry Kohanim, I mean, the, where their daughters are fit to marry Kohanim, meaning so that they do so, then this girl is also presumed to be fit to marry into the Kuna, and the phenomenon of the rape is basically set aside. Um, you know, given the the entirety of this particular circumstance. And of course, then the Gemara has to say, what do you mean? Like, what is this particular circumstance that would allow her to carry on completely unscathed. I mean, I, I, obviously we can't assume that the, the girl herself is unscathed in terms of psychology or experience or whatever, but in terms of her marital prospects, unscathed. So the Gemara says as follows, Amarle Reveler of Nachman, Reva sister of Nachman, Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, the Amar Kiman. Now he's asking, going back to the mission that we've just read, who is Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri um, Agreeing with is he agreeing with Rabban Gamliel, where Rabban Gamliel says, you know, um, we're going to accept the testimony of the woman, for example, or or is he going to accept is Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri in line with the position of Rabbi Yoshua? Um, so Damar Kaman, Rabban Gamliel, Afilu Barov, Psulin Nami Machshir. Because if you want to say that he lines up with Rabban Gamliel, then you shouldn't have to get. A majority of people in the town, you know, marrying Kohanim or being able to marry Kohanim to be able to permit her to do so, because we should have just gone with it. Right? The, the, this case um, does not puzzle; it does not invalidate her in any way. 
And if you say that it's like it lines up with Rabbi Yeshua's position, or Rabbi Yeshua had a much higher bar to permit um, the woman, or in this case, the girl, to go forward, you know, unscathed, you know, based on whatever it is that she tells a story. So, meaning, according to Rabbi Gamliel, you shouldn't need this story because she can carry on anyway. And according to Rabbi Yeshua, you shouldn't need this story because she can't carry on anyway. So how does Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri fit into the machloket between Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua? Amar lei, hachi amar Rabbi Yehuda, amar Rav. So Rav Nachman answers Rav, namely, this is what Rav, Yehuda said that Rav said, So we're going to get more detail about this actual event, right, that it took place and it says, amongst the kronot, Amongst the wagons, Kronot, I guess, Kronot, the wagons of Tsipori, that's where it took place, um, on market day, right? The, the, the assumption here is that this was market, play, market day. And Okarebi Ami. And the whole thing, you know, like, let's leave aside the question of Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua for a moment. Really, what we're going to do is line up Rabbi Yochanan Benuri with the position of Rabbi Ami. The Amar Rabbi Ami, the Hu Shaita. Meaning, Rabbi Ami says that this whole ruling, this whole case, only makes sense when you're talking about a situation where the 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 men who are there down where this girl goes down to, and where she ends up being raped. You have to be able to be confident that the people who were there to rape, you know, that any one of them who might have raped her is as is as is of unquestionable lineage, meaning the this behavior is reprehensible. But it's not. There's not a case of a mamzer or a natin or a or a halal under these circumstances because they could all be presumed to be of regular standing. I guess um, you know the the majority of the people who would be there would not have any problems with their lineage. And then the, the Gemara says, because Rabbi Yanai, Rabbi Yanai, that this lines up with the position of Rabbi Yanai, the Amar Rabbi Yanai, Nivlat Bekronot Kshirelechuna. And he says that somebody who ends up, a girl who ends up uh, sleeping with somebody down there by the wagons, um, is fit to marry into the Kahuna. Now, of course, the question is like, you know, once we're talking about these wagons and we're talking about a marketplace, then you know, then the Gemara wants to know, like, to what extent are we going to understand this case? Is it a matter of rape? Is it a matter of, you know, what's really happening down there? And then what happens, oh my goodness, if she gets, not in the case of the Tinoket for the Mishnah, but what happens if she gets pregnant, and then they don't know who the father is, and then who's going to be fit to marry whom, and so on and so forth, right? But the the interesting part here, I mean, I guess it's all interesting. I'm going to be careful here in what I say, but the point here that said the the Rebbe Ami point, right? The idea that they're in a place where she is presumed to be able to marry into the Kahuna because the rest of the town, the girls, are able to marry into the Kahuna. And why is that? Because there's a presumption of the the upstanding nature. It's not the right term, right? It's the unblemished nature of the of the lineage of the people who are down by the wagons where she goes to get to fill the water. Um, all of this is based on a majority rule, right? I mean, there's certain assumptions about the different populations. And once those assumptions are in place, then she's 
totally free and clear to go ahead and marry into the kahuna. She has no limitations put on her standing, assuming that all of those previous assumptions are actually in place. Um, you know, obviously, if those specifics are not relevant, then the case would have to be adjudicated differently. But in this case, there, I think there's a clear goal of making sure she's okay to go on and marry however she wants, right? And that this rape should not um, should not haunt her in a status way. Again, we can't speak to the emotional or experience, experiential aspects of it, but I think that the rove here, the rove is the word for majority, that the Chazal are willing to depend on the assumptions of the majority for the sake of the the future of this girl. Yeah, I, I actually think this is like a very empathic uh, mission. You know, when you think about all the discussion that we've had about uh, lineage and how lineage works, and then along comes this Mishnah and the discussion of the Gemara that basically wants to go out of its way to make it work. Um, and I also think there's something very, very realistic here. Like, this is telling us this lineage thing was messy and people did not have such clean lineages. Yeah, I've been paying attention to that kind of aspect as well. How many how many rules are based here on people doing the wrong thing? And I feel like that's not all hypotheticals. Yeah, not no, this is not a hypothetical. This is not a boundary pushing passage. This is real life and really the Mishnah and the ensuing Gemara describing the people that they lived with and the people that they knew. Right, exactly. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.